Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Did you hear about the fellow by the name of Daniel Thomas? Daniel Thomas uh, lived in a, a unit right next to a lady that he had uh, very much cared about and uh, all they had between them was a little fence that divided their units and her front door was there and his front door was there and he was infatuated by her but struggled to actually go and speak to her. So over a period of time, he wrote her love letters to explain how he felt and they were very, very delicate, they were very romantic, they were beautiful, beautiful letters. This took 42 years he wrote letters to this lady without actually physically speaking to her. He would jump over the little fence, he would slide the letters, somebody's getting tapped on the shoulder, I think he's been doing the same thing for about as long. He needs to listen to the end of this. He would jump over the little fence and slide the letters under her door and then he'd jump back over the fence and go in the house and eventually, after 42 years, he got the courage up to go next door knock on the door and actually speak to her and ask her if she would marry him. And she said, absolutely. And they got married at 72 years of age. (laughs) What a noodle. He should have spent it. (laughs) So, wasted the best years of his life. God has been writing us a love letter, not for 42 years, but for thousands of years. And you have that love letter either in your lap or on your phone or in the pew in front of you. A detailed explanation of how God made you. A detailed explanation of who God is so that you can be in relationship with him. A detailed explanation of how fearfully and wonderfully you were made. A detailed explanation of what God wanted from you when he made you. And we've heard about some of that this morning. He wanted you to enjoy him and to bring glory to his name. Our loving, loving creator, the God of heaven and earth, has written to us not only how much he loves us, but as you'll see today, I hope he's demonstrated that love to us and that he's given us his only son. Now, loving God who speaks the truth because he can't do anything but that, he never lies, he always speaks the truth, has out of love written to us and told us that we are in peril, that we are in great danger. He's explained why we're in great danger. He's explained to us that we have no way of remedying that situation. We have no way of fixing that problem but God. But God came up with a solution that relies wholly upon him for us. He is a wonderful, wonderful creator. And I'd like to talk to you about that today. But before we do that, I'd like to lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word and to be here on this beautiful day as we approach a new year. Thank you for your precious word which tells us that you love us, that we are loved by you. 
that you care about us, that you provide for us. And I pray today as we open your word that you would speak to us afresh for those of us that have had the privilege of knowing you, afresh of the wonder of what you have done on our behalf. We pray for our loved ones and our family members that have come to church with us today that don't know you, that they might hear clearly the wonderful work that you have done on their behalf because you love them. You love them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to read with me, please, the verse that's on the screen. I'd like us as a, as a congregation this morning, whether you're new or not, would you please read this with me together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wow, what an amazing passage of scripture. Here in this verse in the book of John, you have condensed for you, if you like, all of God's word in this tiny little passage. God has condensed his heart for you. He's condensed the message that he wants to share with all of humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. If you hear nothing else today from me, and that would be a miracle <laughs> and a mercy. Hear this. God loves you. Would you say it with me together? God loves you. Just let that flow over you for a moment. God loves you. He provides for you. He cares for you. God loves you and he's gone to great extremes to be able to reveal himself to you and this passage sums that up so beautifully. From this passage I'd like to draw some conclusions before we take some time to go through and look at some of the words in there. I'd like to look at eight of the words that are in this beautiful verse. God, the world, gave, his son and so on and so on. But first I want to say to you a few things that we can know from this verse just at a glance. The first of those is that God loves the world. That is, he loves the great totality of fallen, sinful human beings on the face of this earth. In the beginning, the word of God tells us that God created us in his image, that we might enjoy him and that we might bring to him glory as we enjoy him. He gave us the opportunity to be able to choose right from wrong. And if you know the story of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, unfortunately, humanity chose to do the wrong thing and break God's law. And in breaking God's law, they broke the heart of God. In breaking God's law, they brought death, both physical and spiritual, upon themselves and upon everybody in this room. Upon breaking God's law, they place themselves under the judgment of God because he is a good God and he must judge them righteously. We all love justice, let's be honest. Every one of us love justice, except for when God applies it to us and then we try to find some way to squiggle out from underneath it. When we get hurt by our neighbour or someone down the road or they do the wrong thing by us or they cut us off or something happens, we... 
demand justice. Our heart cries out for justice. And if you don't believe me, let's think about our sons and daughters for a minute. If somebody did something to your son or daughter, some unjust act upon them, boy, doesn't your heart cry out for justice then? When somebody does unjust things to my children, my heart cries out for justice and the other part of my heart, which is not so good, cries out for me to be the deliverer of that justice. Our just God must just sin, must judge sin and he will judge sin. He is judging sin and he has warned us that that judgment will bring death upon us and not just momentary death but eternal death. We are eternal beings. The second thing we learn just from an observational glance at this passage is this love is of such a kind, of such an intensity, of such a magnitude that it demanded the life of God the Son. It demanded the life of God the Son. For this reason we read in John 10, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my own life and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This love is of such breadth and depth. It is so beautiful. It is so high. It is such magnitude that it demanded the life of God the Son on our behalf, which he willingly gave up for us. Such is the love of God. One absolutely clear purpose, the third thing, one absolutely clear purpose and effect of that love, of the Son giving his life, is that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing news, that God has provided a way of escape. God has provided a remedy for his righteous judgment. God has provided an open door for us to enter through so that whoever believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will not suffer the just judgment of God because Jesus Christ has suffered that judgment on their behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that marvellous? What an enormous statement. This is an amazing passage because in John 3.16, in 25 words, you have, as it were, all of the gospel explained. It's so simple in its explanation, but when you look into it, it's vastly deep and amazing and takes more than a lifetime to understand. The final thing that I wanted to say in observation, that this love is indiscriminate. It may be spoken to and promised to and applied to everyone without exception. It's indiscriminate. For whosoever will believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whoso shall ever believe in him shall be saved. The promise of John 3.16 is indiscriminate and can be promised to everyone because what this love says is if you believe, you will have eternal life. I can do this. I can promise this because Jesus Christ has cancelled the debt of our sin. He says, my love for you is this. I gave my son so that trusting him and him only is the condition for everlasting life. 
It's an amazing thing. We may therefore say to every human being, God loves you. Come in here today and you may not feel loved by anybody, least of all by God. We come in here today with our burdens and our dreams and our hopes, which we can easily be overwhelmed with, and we need to take a deep breath and remind ourselves that God loves you. Amazing. He gave his son to die so that if you believe, sins would be forgiven and you will have eternal life. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, God. This is the free offer of the gospel. It spreads across all socio-economic areas. It spreads across all nationalities. It spreads across all cultures. It spreads across all educations. It overcomes all disabilities. This wonderful message that God has made provision for us to be forgiven through the death of his son. So great is this wonderful good news which we call the gospel. It's not hard to see why this beautiful passage in John 3.16 is the, perhaps the most famous verse in all of the world, memorised by millions of people, and it has blessed so many down through the generations. It's no wonder because it speaks about the most important realities to mankind. The most important reality is it speaks about God, it speaks about love, it speaks about the world, it speaks about the Son of God, it speaks about faith, it speaks about perishing forever, it speaks about living forever, it speaks about whoever, it speaks about you, it speaks about me. Aren't those things that we need to take an account of as we come to the end of a year and we're about to launch into another year? Another year that calls us to busyness, another year that calls us to paying more bills, another year that calls us to meeting a schedule, another frenetic year that calls us so thoroughly that we can often forget God. I wanted to stop you this morning just for the brief time that we have together and tell you that God loves you. God loves you. This is the most important thing that we need to know as we enter into this year. What could be more urgent for you? What could be more momentous for us than our standing before the God who created us in his image? So let's have a look at these wonderful, wonderful words. And I'd like to start, if you'll most of it will be on the screen for you, but feel free to look at your Bibles as we go along. We're going to come back to John 3.16, if we can, guys, on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when John mentions the word God, we're just going to take these eight words as we move through quite quickly. He's talking about the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe the one who spoke everything that we know of into beings through the word of his mouth, the all-powerful creator, the all-powerful sustainer, the one true God. But this one true God that we speak about, he is not some force. I, I'm a Star Wars fan, 
Um, I could watch Star Wars every week and even the cartoon version, which you may make you smile, but my wife, she would rather stick hot needles in her eyes than watch Star Wars. But I love Star Wars. And that idea of having this power to move objects, to connect with the, the force, this power within the universe, this this power that doesn't have a personality as such, but it's just there. And if you meditate the right way, you can tap into it, which is a complete load of bulldust, I know, but it's an enjoyable fantasy. Our God is not like that. Our God is knowable. He's personal. He's not a mere force. Our God is knowable and meaningful. This means that he thinks, he feels, he loves, he hates. He is a personal God and he is a moral God. And this is important to know because this is how God interacts with us in a moral manner. He deals with us in terms of right and wrong. He deals with us in terms of good and bad. He's been very clear in the way that he communicates to us because God loves you and designed you to have relationship with him so that you could enjoy him and bring glory to his name. He is absolutely holy. I love this part about God. He is absolutely what we term in Christian terms, which is a very big word. He's absolutely righteous, meaning that he's absolutely good all the way through. Every thought, every action, every move, every decree, every command, every rebuke, everything that God does is good, which I find awesome at the same time as I find terribly fearful. I will stand before him one day and he will deal with me absolutely righteously, absolutely in, the, in a good way. That's the, and he does that now in my life. He is a good God. He never wakes up in the morning and thinks, Jeff Littlefair just drives me crazy and I would like to smother him with a pillow, which is how my wife often wakes up. Bless her. You can relate to that, can't you? Wouldn't take you long either. God is altogether good and righteous. Goes on to say that for God so loved. God so loved us. He so loves every human being. And the best and the most beautiful demonstration of this love is that he gave his only son for us. God the Father sent God the Son to die in your place and to die in my place, to take the penalty that our sin deserved upon himself so that we could take upon us the goodness of God and the blessing of God. And now God does not look upon me as one who has broken his law and deserves condemnation. He looks upon me through the sacrifice of his son, and I am well-pleasing in his sight, and so are all of those of you who have believed upon him. Isn't that great news as we come into a new year? We have no fear of our God because our God has loved us so deeply. I'll explain that a bit more as we go along. What does God mean when he talks about having loved the world? Does that mean that God loves the mountains and God loves the oceans and God loves the rivers and God loves the trees? 
And yes, I believe he does. He created them and he says in Genesis, everything that he's created is good. Okay. Even though we live in a world that is now broken and marred by the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden and has flowed down upon all of us and all the sin that we have committed is alike. But those things are certainly good. But what he means here when he speaks about the world is the great mass of fallen humanity that needs salvation. When God speaks about the world in this verse, he's talking about every human being, the countless number that are perishing before him, the countless number of the whoever's would come to him through faith. People are religious within our community. When this passage was written down, we have Jesus speaking just prior to this passage to Nicodemus. For those of you that don't know, Nicodemus was a very religious man. He was a religious leader within his community. The nation of Israel was considered to be the, the keepers of God's law and all that could be known about the living God. They were the, the religious elite of the world. And this man, Nicodemus, was at the top of that pack. He knew everything that you could want to know about God. But it became very evident that he did not actually know God personally. We can talk about God, 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 God all day long. We can have the language of the people of God. We can have the habits of the people of God. We can attend the meetings that the people of God attend. We can say the words that the people of God can attend to, to believe. But does that mean that we know God personally? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What we learn from this passage when we speak about the world is that we must know the Lord Jesus Christ because we cannot know God the Father without knowing him first. I'll explain some more of that as we go along. What does God mean when he says he gave? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, two things need to be said about this giving. The first one is that it's obvious that this gift comes from heaven because we know from God's word that the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the beginning with God the Father in perfect union with him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had no need for anything else. There was perfect love, perfect unit, perfect holiness, perfect fellowship. They were enjoying the wonderful unity that they have. And yet Jesus left that perfect communion, that perfect fellowship, that perfect love, and he came to the earth for an express reason. This is the second part of he gave. Not only did it come from heaven, this wonderful gift of giving, but the second part of that, he came to this earth to die. He didn't come to this earth to go on a sightseeing fellowship of all he had created. He didn't come to this earth to set up a, a religious movement. He didn't come to this earth to go on a skiing holiday. He didn't go to this, come to this earth to take it easy and learn to be a carpenter. He came from the glory of heaven and fellowship with his father to die for you and me. So wonderful. Let me explain it this way. 
I want you to imagine you have a son. Some of you here have been gifted with that. We're praying that our children will. We've got five granddaughters. <laughs> okay. We've taken note of all the boys that have been born in our church. We're going to you know, organise their lives for them in years to come. But imagine you had a son and you said to your son, son, could you come in here for a minute? I have something I want to say to you. I have some enemies in my life, some enemies who have rebelled against me, who have hurt me, who have hurt you, who have hurt your mother, who have treated us in a hateful way. And I want you to go and die for them so that I can save them, so that I can pour out my blessing on them, so that I can show them my love. That's what it means to give. That's what our God has done for us when he gave his precious son on your behalf and on my behalf. If you think for a moment, are you starting to understand just the intensity and the thought that God has put into this? God's desire to save you was not something that he thought up in a second. God's desire to save you was not something he acted out in a moment. God's desire to forgive you and save you has been something that he's meditated on and he has put all of his heart and all of his energy into and not only his heart and energy but it cost him his own son. Such is his love for you and I. But who is this son? He gave this son. Have a look in your Bibles. I don't know if I've put it up on the screen for you, John 1.1. I did. I'm amazing. Just forgetful, really. This is who this son is. There's been many people who have been confused about who the son is. Many within our Muslim community, many of our brothers and sisters, many of our, and I say brothers and sisters because they are our fellow men. They were made by the same God we were made by. But they are very confused at oftentimes over who the son is. They can't get their mind around it because when they think of son, they think of a, a husband and wife enjoying each other and from that enjoyment, the, a son is born. But this is not how this son was born. This is not how this son was created because he was not created because he was there in the beginning. See if you can follow my logic for a moment. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So what do we learn from that? This word was in the beginning. And what it's meant to convey to you is this word was there before time began. This word was there before the world was created. This word was there in the beginning with God. And then he goes on and says, and the word was with God. So in the beginning, this word, separate from, but was with God. And then he says something amazing. What does he say next? And the word was God. The plurality there. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to realize that there's more than one God there and they are equal to one another. He's saying this word was God. Now come down in your Bibles if you have one because I didn't put this verse up and that's verse 14. And there he goes on to say this amazing thing happened. This word that was there with God in the beginning, this word that was God became flesh. And this flesh dwelt among us. And this flesh had the glory of the Son of God. And there he makes the connection that it's actually Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
This one who was conceived immaculately, not as we were conceived. Because he has been there forever. And it pleased God by the Holy Spirit to hover over Mary and give her a child, as it were, a body for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been there forever and ever. He took on the form of a man. He took upon himself flesh. He is divine. He is the one true God. This is the one who came from God. This is the one who gave his life for us. He is not just a somebody. He is God the Son. And then this wonderful, wonderful word, believe. What does it mean to believe? If I was asked you for a moment, what does it mean to believe? What would you say to me if I came to you and said, you need to believe? Could you explain to me what it means to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean? I'd like to suggest it means four things, and I'm, I'm sure it's, this is not the best explanation you'll ever get, but come with me. Firstly, it means that Not everybody will benefit from what Jesus came to do. Whoever so believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And obviously there are going to be those who do not believe and therefore they shall perish. So not everybody is going to benefit from this wonderful word called believing. Secondly, the word means to embrace something as true. And when it's a person, it means that you trust them to do what they say they are going to do and what they will do. So to believe means to trust that person. So when you say you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe what he says, you believe what he's done, you believe what he says he will do. And when you believe that and trust that, you make that part of your life. It's not something you just keep out here and then you go on and live your life. It becomes the way that you live your life. You believe him. Thirdly, but we learn this from John 1 and verses 11 and 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of what? Of the murmur? Come on, I know you're getting tired and that roast is waiting for you, but stick with me. If you have received him and believed upon him, he has given you the right to become the children of? Well done. That was excellent. And so these two words actually define each other. These two words explain each other. To receive and to believe. To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is not only to agree with him, but it's to welcome him into your life. It's to welcome him to every part of your life. To receive him. I remember when I was saved, I didn't know any of this stuff. I knelt down beside my bed and I prayed. I didn't even know the difference between God the Father and God the Son. All that stuff was a mystery to me. I just knew that I needed him in my life. I'd seen Christians around me. They had something I didn't have. And I knelt beside my bed and I prayed, Lord, If you are who you say you are, I wasn't even confident about that. I ask you to please forgive me for my sin. I knew knew that I'd broken God's law. You know that you've broken God's law. Every one of us has broken God's law. I asked him to forgive me and I said, I want you to come into my life and I want you to take control of my life because it's not going the way it should go. I've got everything anybody could want. I've got 
a wealthy family. I've got motorbikes. I've got fantastically good looks. That was that was before my accident. But there's something deep inside me that's broken and lonely, and I need you to forgive me and take control of my life. And in that moment, my life changed. Because I had believed upon him, I'd invited him in, I'd received him, and he was true to his word. He made me a child of God. Praise his holy name. The fourth thing that we see very quickly is that if we ask and we receive him, we need to understand what we are receiving him as. Are we receiving him as a friend who's just going to come along beside us and hopefully one day give us the numbers to the lotto? Are we receiving him as a friend who just minds his own business and when we have a hard time he comes in and straightens it all out for us? Are we receiving a friend who just basically stays out of our way but he helps us to get a really, really good partner and have really wonderful children that never do anything wrong? Is he coming into our lives to help us to be moral people and to be the best people in our church so that we look better than everybody else? Is he coming into my life just because he wants to help, because I want him to help me to be a great success so that I can sit back in my chair when I'm getting towards retirement and pat myself on the back and say, man, haven't I lived a wonderful life? Aren't I an awesome person? No, that's not what we're receiving. When we receive him, we are receiving him as the one who forgives us for our sins. We are receiving him for the one who brings joy to our souls. We are receiving him as the one who will come into our lives and transform, not reform, but transform every part of our life. I received him as my Lord and I understood that to mean that he was in charge of every part of my life and I was going to live the way that he wanted me to live. We need to understand that when we receive him, he says this in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall neither thirst. Wonderful, wonderful promise. He's the one who satisfies my soul. He's the one who takes away my sin. He is the joy of my life. He's the hope of my life. He's the one who brings me comfort through the trials of my life. And I love him because he first loved me. Do you get that? He first loved me, revealed himself to me, gave me the faith to believe in him, sealed me with his Holy Spirit. He is the one who has loved me. And I am in awe of him. And I want to live my life for him. I want to treat my wife in the grace that he's treated me. I want to raise my children in the grace that he's treated me with. I want to spend my money in a way that honours him. Not that I can do anything for him, but I want to do these things out of the love that he's had for me. This is how I received him. The next word that we want to look at is perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What's most clear and important is to see that perish is the opposite, the alternative to eternal life. You either perish eternally or you have life eternally. There is no in-between. You do not perish and get blown out like a candle. 
you perish for eternity, you have life for eternity. We're not talking about where to go for a holiday or how to spend your money or which car you should buy or which school you could send your kids to, which suburb you should live in, what sort of house you should have. We're talking about life and death, about eternal life and eternal punishment, the really, really serious things of life. Then he speaks about eternal life. Everybody exists forever. I want you to understand that. You, you don't, you die, but that doesn't mean you get snuffed out. You continue on, but not everybody has eternal life. And what does eternal life mean? When I talk about eternal life, you can think about heaven and the home that God's made for you, but actually what eternal life means is the new birth. It means being born again. It means being united with Christ through faith. Let me explain it this way because the Bible says that Jesus, he says of himself, I am the resurrection and the, the life. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Life exists in Jesus Christ. Eternal life exists in Jesus Christ. So if you have Jesus Christ as your saviour and you've received him and invited him in, you have him and you have his life. This is eternal life. Some of us in church have no idea who the Lord Jesus Christ is and you've been here for donkey's years. You've believed to come to the services. You've believed upon coming at the right time. You've been involved in ministry. You say the right words. You pray the right prayers. But you do not know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And when I talk to you about receiving him and believing in him and living your life after him, that is as foreign as you to you as anything could possibly be. You know about him. You have an affection for him. But ask yourself the last time that you spoke to him and he spoke to you. The last time you felt the warming glow of his spirit in your heart. The last time that you felt that deep assurance that he is yours and you are his. And you are risking eternal punishment and perishing upon this false belief that somehow or other through being here and doing what you do, that you're going to have life. And I tell you, the only place that you find life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to be really, really careful here that you do not make the mistake of thinking that you're going to have it any other way. Otherwise, you will perish. I want to close with this. I want to ask you one question from a pastor's point of view, which is actually three questions. You know how we do that? I want to take one more minute, which you know means 25. All right? But I actually want to ask you two questions. Do you live in the forgiveness and life and the freedom of John 3.16? Can we go back to that verse again, guys, on the screen, if you can pull it up? Do you live in the forgiveness and the life and the freedom that's offered in John 3.16? Have you come to that place where you have realised that you are in danger, that you are actually apart from God's life, that you are actually a sinner about to be condemned, that the only thing that's holding you out of hell right now is the gracious hand of God as he nurtures you and cares for you day in and day out so that you might come to believing faith in him. When I say to you this morning, do you live in the forgiveness 
and the life and the freedom of John 3.16, does your heart say, yes, yes, I do, praise God? Or does your heart miss a beat and you think, I'm not even sure what that means? You're in real danger. Are you free from the fear of death? Does the wonder of being loved like this shape your relationship? Is it real to you? Does this permeate your life? If that quiet, still voice of God has been speaking to your heart and you have realised for the first time that you have never received or believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to lead you in prayer of confession that you might receive him for the first time this morning. Those of you here who have trusted on the Lord, might you bow your heads and your hearts might rejoice in the wonder of this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Pray with me this prayer, please. Father in heaven, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have sent your son to die to pay the price for my sin. I thank you for that. And I ask you to come into my life and take control of my life. I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Saviour. I pray that you would forgive me. I receive him now in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.